You're listening to the sermon audio from Mill Creek Community Church. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com. Hello, my name is Josiah Timmons, and I'll be pre- I will be reading today's scripture. You can find it in Genesis chapter 24, verses 34 to 48. Or you can find it on page 13 in the Bibles in front of you. Please go there with me. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has greatly blessed my master, and he has become great. He has given him flocks and herds, silver and gold, male servants and female servants, camels and donkeys. And Sarah, my master's wife, bore a son to my master when she was old. And to him he has given all that he has. My master made me swear, saying, You shall not take a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I dwell. But you shall go to my father's house and to my clan and take a wife for my son. I said to my master, Perhaps the woman will not follow me. But he said to me, The Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and prosper your way. You shall take a wife for my son from my clan and for my father's house. Then you will be free from my oath. When you come to my clan, and if they will not give her to you, you will be free from my oath. I came today to the spring and said, O Lord, the God of my master Abraham, if now you are prospering the way that I go, behold, I am standing by the spring of water. Let the virgin who comes out to draw water to whom I shall say, Please give me a little water from your jar to drink. And who will say to me, Drink, and I will draw for your camels also. Let her be the woman whom the Lord has appointed for my master's son. Before I had finished speaking in my heart, behold, Rebekah came out with her water jar on her shoulder, and she went down to the spring and drew water. I said to her, Please let me drink. She quickly let down her jar from her shoulder and said, Drink, I will give your camels drink also. So I drank, and she gave the camels drink also. Then I asked her, Whose daughter are you? She said, The daughter of Bethuel, Nahor's son, whom Milcah bore to him. So I put the ring on her nose and the bracelets on her arm. Then I bowed my head and worshipped the Lord and blessed the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me by the right way to take the daughter of my master's kinsman for his son. This is the living and active word of the Lord. Please pray with me. Lord, I pray that we will have soft hearts to listen to you and open minds that are filled with your spirit. And I pray that you'll bless the sermon that Mr. Graham is going to preach and you will give him the right words to preach. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Josiah. 
we had a couple meetings together to look at what Genesis 24 had to say, and Josiah joined us for one of those and had great contribution to our team. So we're grateful he also got to read the text. The Lord is doing a million things with us, each of us. Uh, the Lord is also doing something very special with Josiah, and so we're looking forward to see what the Lord does with him. Well, a couple Wednesdays ago, I was at the school my kids attend, Maranatha Christian Academy, and I was the chapel speaker. I've done that before. God willing, they invite me back to do it again. And on this occasion, I was in the secondary school, 7th through 12th grade, and everything was going normal. They sing a couple songs, and then they invite somebody to get up and share a few words from God's word. And so as I was preparing to say what I had there to share, they started a new song that I didn't recognize. And as this song began to be sung, I found myself growing in concern. And was at a position where I thought, do I need to just get on stage and go, time out, we need to have a talk before we keep this song going. The, the, the concern I had about the song wasn't the lyrics, it wasn't a theological problem. I think the lyrics are straight out the scripture. The problem was one of content. The students were singing the equivalent of spiritual plutonium and their expression, some on their knees, hands pleading with God, led me to conclude, y'all have no idea what you're saying. Here's verse one. If the altar is where you meet us, take me there, take me there. What you need is it's right here. My life is here. And I'll be a living sacrifice for you. They were all singing their heart out so much, some of them are here right now listening to this, that I just figured they don't know what an altar is. I'm going to have to stand up and say, an altar is where you go to die. I have had the smallest of tastes of God purifying. I don't even know that he's given me a full-size helping. I've just had a small taste. And I'm sitting there listening to that song, and my knees are a little shaky because, because I know God's real. And I know he's hearing them. And I think they, I, best I can tell, they mean what they're saying, but they hadn't tasted it because if they were going to taste it, they would be very careful about singing this song. Spiritual plutonium. Good grief. Kids, if, if kids are going to go to a museum, they need parental permission slips. I felt like this song required one. No more singing until I know your parents are okay with what you're saying. Here's the chorus. You're a fire, the refiner. I want to be consumed. I want to be tried by fire. No, you don't. <laughs> you crazy if you think you want that. Purified. You take whatever you desire. Hello. <laughs> he really will. Lord, here's my life. So I'm sitting there getting ready to, thinking I was getting ready to say something to them. I don't know if they learned anything from me. Man, I learned something from them because they were like, best I can tell, they're singing this song of crazy faith, like total abandonment. Like, Lord, 
whatever you want. And it, it hit me, man, I don't know that I'm there right now. Like, I want to be there. But that sort of faith takes such courage. It's, it's radical. It's crazy. And, and that's what we're going to find in Genesis 24. I think Genesis 24 has got some spiritual plutonium for us. Kids, I thought about asking your parents to sign a permission slip before you sat through. So parents, I'm warning you right now. Your kids walk out of here and they decide they're going over to Syria to plant a church. I told you before this thing got started, there was some stuff happening. Here's the sermon in a sentence so you can know where this whole thing is at. Here's the sermon in a sentence. If you're taking notes, you might want to write this down. Christians, they confidently believe. They worship unashamedly. They courageously go. As we track this, the longest chapter in Genesis, we're going to see these three movements. One, Abraham, he is confidently believing. His servant, unashamedly worshiping. Rebecca, courageously going. And it's going to give us a pattern to follow today. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please, God's word is said. The first way we're going to track Abraham is with this question. How will you respond to what God has said? How will you respond to what God has said? I'm going to draw this from verses 1 to 9. And as we get here to Genesis 24, you should know this is, we're coming to the end of Abraham's life. Started in Genesis 12, where Abraham left his home country to go to a land God had told him to go. He is courageous in faith. He believes God. He goes there, has some ups, has some downs. The biggest test is Genesis 22, where God says, put Isaac on the altar. Abraham passes that test. He's buried his wife in Genesis 23. And here in Genesis 24, we're going to find his last recorded words in all of Genesis. And, and, and what he wants is to pass on his faith to Isaac. Isaac, his only son, the son of the promise, excuse me, the only son of he and Sarah, is the chosen covenant son of God's promises, and he needs a spouse if God's promised family tree is going to keep going to continue so he grabs his servant best trusted servant and says hey my my son needs a spouse and i want you to go to that land where i originally came from and find a spouse for him and that's a three-week journey 21 days if you're going to go with the speed of a camel and the servant's supposed to show up there and get a woman sight unseen who goes yeah i'll marry isaac servant is not taking isaac so he's supposed to go there arrange a marriage by the way, he's supposed to arrange a marriage with somebody who is related to Abraham, Abraham's brother's family. Like, go talk to those single ladies and say, who wants to get married? And then just come with me. And then it leads the servant to what you and I would expect. Like, okay, okay, Abraham, but what if they won't come? Should I take Isaac back there? Should I take Isaac from the promised land back there? And Abraham says, no, no. This is the promised land that God has given us, and you are not to take Isaac back there. You stay here. And if the lady won't go, then, you're, then you did your end of the bargain. But his final words recorded in Genesis, he's, he's saying, but I just know. I just know the God who made me promises and the God who has seen me through, he is going to provide a wife for my Isaac. 
Man, what we see then here is Abraham anchoring himself to God's word. See, as readers, we may go, man, why are you making the servant do that three-week journey to find a wife? Why doesn't the servant just go down to the local town and find a local lady and say, who here would like to get married to Isaac? I mean, they were well off. They, had, they were driving Mercedes. It's not going to be hard to find a wife for Isaac. Why does he not just take a woman from Canaan? Why doesn't he find a good Canaanite girl? Well, that would have been the shortcut. And the reason why Abraham says, I want you to make me a promise, my best servant, you make me a promise, is because Abraham believed what's explicit in Genesis 9, 10, and 11. Now, in case you weren't eating breakfast reviewing Genesis 9, 10, and 11, here's what's going on there. We know that of Noah's three sons, Ham, Shem, Japheth, there was one who was in the promised family tree. If you didn't know, in Genesis, there are these two family trees that are really important. It takes us all the way back to Genesis 3, actually. After Adam and Eve sinned by eating the apple, the serpent deceived them. God says in Genesis 3.15, he says, there are going to be two family trees. And one day, the offspring of the promise is going to crush the offspring of the serpent. And throughout Genesis, we keep tracing these two family trees. And what we have then, after Noah, and we have the restart, there's these two family trees that come out. And Abraham is from the promised family tree. And he believes God's word enough to say, we cannot have my son marrying a Canaanite who is from the serpent's family tree. We've got to believe God's word, and we've got to find her the kind of woman who is from the right family tree. Now, I know our modern ears find that like, ooh, that, that doesn't sit quite right with me. That feels weird. But it's here in the text. And you can look at Genesis 3, 9, and 11 and see this is Abraham radically believing and at great cost, God's word. And that brings us already to our first answer. Do we respond to what God has said? The, the, the pattern that Abraham provides in these first nine verses is a confident belief in God's word. And that's how we are to respond. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write this down. How are Christians to respond to what God has said? Christians, we confidently believe God's word. If God has said it, man, I believe it. And we're crazy enough to really believe it and put it into actions. Remember, Genesis 24 is written to Israelites who are on the verge of the promised land, and they are getting ready to go into kingdoms far stronger than them, more dominant than them, bigger than them. And are they going to actually believe God's promises that God will go with them, that God will deliver them? That's crazy faith. When you're, are you going to put your life on the line to believe God's word? That was the challenge for the Israelites. For us today, we got to do business with this same question. Christian. If you are a Christian, will you confidently believe God's word? Because here's the facts, Jack. We live in a culture that hates God's word. Our culture is growing increasingly hostile. I think when I was born, I think the culture was mostly positive toward God's word. Like, it's a good thing. These morals are a good thing. I think when I got to high school, it went neutral. And now it's hostile. You go out and you explain God's heart for marriage like we're describing here. You go out and tell the world, yeah, Genesis 9, 10, 11 actually has something to say about what kind of spouse to marry. The world's going to crush you over that. 
You go out and talk about how Genesis speaks to Sodom and Gomorrah, the world hates that. It's crazy faith to actually believe and live what God has said. Now, are you going to do this, Christian? A couple examples. One of my friends back in Wichita working at the university had to sign off on LGBTQ affirming belief system and had to ask the question of themselves, am I going to sign a statement that I don't believe in theologically to keep my job occupationally? I hope you guys don't have to face that, but that's an example of the rubber hitting the road on believing God's word. For those here who are single, looking for a spouse, it would be easy to want to take a shortcut and just find somebody. Just lonely, I want to find somebody. Everybody else seems to be married. I come to Mill Creek, you guys seem to be married and doing fine, and I just want somebody. And you could take a shortcut, and you could find somebody who's not sharing the sort of courageous belief in God's word. You did? You do? And it's going to take crazy faith to say no to that and continue in a season of loneliness that our culture says is not good. For any of us, be prepared. God's word is going to confront you. Like if you're here and you've never had God's word come up against you and step on your toes, elbow you in the ribs, or do something, you're not reading the word, man. God is going to confront you with his word. How will you respond? Crazy faith like Abraham or something else? Christians confidently believe what God has said. That's how Christians respond. Well, that's first piece of spiritual plutonium. Let's move over to question number two. This is the longest part of our passage, longest part of the sermon. How will you respond to God's providence? How will you respond to God's providence? Providence is one of those big theological words that that means that God is all-powerful and he is working behind the scenes whether you know it or not. Whether you see it or not, he is providentially working. We don't believe in luck. We're Christians. You want to come to the potluck? I'll come to a pot providence. <laughs> but I ain't going to no potlucks. We don't believe in luck. Thank you. That was a dumb joke. Okay, how will you respond to God's providence? Well, look at the text. The servant has taken this oath from Abraham. They have culturally shaken on it. They shook on it. And now he goes to the city of Nahor. Nahor, that's the name of Abraham's brother. So now there's a city named after him. Maybe he was the first mayor. And, and it takes 21 days to travel there. Commentaries taught me that. And there's 10 camels, which is a weird detail until we learn that somebody's going to be giving those camels a little drink. So that number becomes into play a little bit later. But we imagine that they arrive there in the evening. This is a long road trip. They're tired. They're thirsty. But this is the very moment the servant has been waiting for. This is the money moment. When the servant, it's like he jumps off his camel. And here is the first time in Genesis that we see a prayer guidance. This is the genesis of dependent prayer, you could say. Look in the text, 12. Servant said, oh, Lord, God of my master, Abraham, Please grant me success today and show steadfast love to my master Abraham. Behold, I'm standing by the spring of water, and the daughters of the men of the city are coming out to draw water. Let the young woman to whom I shall say, please let down your jar that I may drink, and who shall say, drink, and I will water your camels. Let her be the one whom you have appointed for your servant Isaac. 
by this I shall know that you have shown steadfast love to my master. Got to know something about this crazy prayer request because culturally it would have been normal that in the evening ladies are coming to draw water. That's normal. It also would have been culturally normal that the servant as a stranger, as a foreigner, would not help himself to the water fountain. It's not his water fountain. He should ask permission. So that's normal. You'd say, hey, can I have a drink? It also would have been normal for that woman to say, sure, I'll give you a drink. All of that's customary. What isn't normal is that she would say, let me water your camels too. That's the weird part. See, these ladies would take something like a two to three gallon jar to this well, and a camel drank about 10 jars of water. <laughs> All right? So you do the math, and you go, this is like a two-hour deal that she's going to be committing to, and she's going to take the initiative. Yeah, right. Single guys, it would be like praying on the way to worship service this morning. Dear Lord, I'm going to ask one of the beautiful single ladies of Mill Creek to a date. And I pray that she not only says yes, but she offers to drive me in her Mercedes. And she takes me to the most expensive of restaurants. She pays the bill and says, I want to marry you. <laughs> Lord, by this, I will know that you are blessing me. Good luck, fellas. <laughs> this is crazy faith. It's crazy faith. Look in the text, 15. Before the servant had finished speaking or praying, Rebekah, who was born to Bethuel, the son of Milcah, the wife of Nahor, Abraham's brother. So that's the narrator saying, right family. She came out with her water jar on her shoulder. The young woman was very attractive in appearance. The maiden whom no man had known. She went down to the spring and filled her jar up and came up. Then the servant ran. He's not walking to meet this girl. He went on a run and said, please give me a little water to drink from your jar. She said, drink, my Lord. And she quickly let down her jar upon her hand and gave him a drink. When she had finished giving him a drink, and this here it is, what's she going to do? She's just given him a drink. He's prayed. I wonder if he's like side-eyeing her like, what are you going to do, girl? <laughs> she said, I will draw water for your camels also until they have finished drinking. And look what she does. She quickly emptied her jar into the trough and ran again to the well. She ran, church, to draw water. And she drew for all his camels. And the man gazed at her in silence to learn whether the Lord had prospered his journey or not, I, I thought, that's weird. He's just staring at her. That's kind of creepy. Till I realized, what else is he going to do for two hours? <laughs> bang, bang, bang. I mean, it's a ping pong game, right? Verse 22, when Rebecca's done, he goes up to her and he gives her a nose ring. Which, by the way, if you want a nose ring, it's biblical, lady. Two gold bracelets. Then the servant says, can the entourage and I spend the night at your house? Weird to us, normal for them. They say okay, but it's at this point when the servant realizes, you're related to Abraham. 
Oh my word, you are from the chosen family. Not only did you, did you, did, did my prayer get completely answered, and that was crazy faith to ask that, but, but, but God answered it. Providentially, you are actually in the right family tree. Verse 26, the man bows his head to worship God, and he says, blessed be Lord God. For Abraham's God did not forsake his steadfast love and faithfulness. The way I see our author describing this servant, I'm not so convinced that at the beginning of this chapter, he would have said that Abraham's God was his God. Felt like, well, I hope that Abraham's God does this thing. And I think here he gets to taste, Abraham's God's legit. And because of God's steadfast love for Abraham, I am experiencing an answered prayer. And it just seems like he busts out in worship right there at the well. I mean, you try doing that at the local water fountain. Go play some noon ball, and then when it's time to get a drink, you just, Blessed be the Lord God! Unashamed worship. Let's keep going. Verse 29, we meet Laban, who's more interested in the material wealth that his sister just received. But servants and camels, they all end up at Rebecca and Laban's home. And right before the big meal, which is normal, the servant stands up and says, before we eat, we eat I got to say what I got to say. Which brings us to that incredible passage Josiah read for us, which I won't reread. In which the servant is giving quite a persuasive speech, attempting to convince Rebecca and Laban's family, God has providentially been working Please let Rebecca come be Isaac's wife. Seeing that, the author of Genesis doesn't waste any words. Why this extended repetition? What's the point? Well, I think, I think the Israelites would benefit from being reminded. I think we need reminded too. Real honest, I think I need reminded. God's providentially working in our lives and that is so hard to remember maybe in this moment it's like yeah i believe it but then tomorrow happens or the next day and you go a couple days you go a couple weeks and you have life hit you a couple hard knocks and you go hello do you see what's happening in my life i feel like you're not there you ever felt that way Do we really believe in God's providential power when he seems absent, when he seems silent, when it feels like our hearts are breaking? There's comfort here. We get the story twice. The Israelites needed it. I think we need it too to know, man, God is working. I know you've got a plan. I know some of your plan hadn't gone the way you were hoping. God's working. You might be hurt. You might have been hurt. You might have done the hurting. God's working. You may be in a situation where you feel like, man, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place, and no matter what I do, I'm going to get the bad end of this deal. And yet, God is working. He is providentially working behind the scenes. And as this servant who seems to be in process of adopting Abraham's God for his God, as this servant begins to experience God's providential hand, he just erupts in worship. Well, the servant has 
shared the story for a second time in our text with Rebecca and Laban's family. Brings us to the moment of truth, 49. Now then, if you, family, are going to show steadfast love and faithfulness to my master, tell me, and if not, tell me, that I may turn to the right hand or to the left. Then Laban and Bethuel answered and said, The thing has come from the Lord. We cannot speak to you, bad or good. Behold, Rebekah is before you. Take her and go, and let her be the wife of your master's son, as the Lord has spoken. For anyone wondering, quite normal for marriages to be arranged, quite normal for Isaac and Rebekah to not actually be a part of the conversation. Weird for us, normal for them. And I find that the response of these two guys, Laban and Bethuel, is so interesting. They're so convinced at God's providential hand that despite likely worshiping foreign gods, because we learn from other texts, they worship false gods, lowercase g gods. Despite that, when they hear the servant give the story, they go, Psh, God has spoken. Sometimes there's providential things that people in my life will be like, man, God seems to be, seems like God's doing that in your life. And I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. Let's be careful to say what God is or isn't doing. And here in the text, we've got two pagans confident enough in the providential hand of God that they just go, mm, that's the word of the Lord. Of course you're going to take Rebecca. What else are we going to do? Look at the response from our servant, 52. When Abraham's servant heard their words, he bowed himself to the earth before the Lord. Okay, he's at a dinner party with a bunch of pagans he just met. He went face down on the ground. That's weird. Right? That's weird. I mean, go to Chipotle for lunch, and when you're getting ready to just, when you're getting ready to bless the food, just do it. Just face down on the ground at Chipotle. Just go, yes, Lord, chips and guac. It's weird. Why is pastor getting on his face? I want you to know, man, that's weird. I mean, how many times do we even do that in our private worship of God? And here's Abraham. I see him transformed into thing. Man, this God thing's real. Abraham's God's a real God. That brings us to the end of our passage. Just as the Israelites would have been encouraged by God's providential hand, I think we need it too. If you are in Christ, church, God has always been at work in your life. He's always been at work. And if you're in Christ, he is at work right now. And I know there's times we feel like, but I don't see it. I don't feel it. I can't read it in the text of my life. Genesis 24, baby, he is at work right now, whether you feel it or not. And tomorrow, he's going to still be at work as well. And he sees it all. He is a providential God, powerful over it. What an encouraging word. And when, when you get that, here's how you respond. The pattern from the servant, worship unashamedly. Worship unashamedly. And I'm all in with God. He is so good to us. Those with crazy faith confidently believe we worship unashamedly. Sidebar, if you're a single person here and you're thinking, man, I'd love to be married. Should I use Genesis 24 as a blueprint for how to find a spouse? The answer is no. <laughs> Besides, it'd be really hard to find 10 camels. They're pretty expensive. You need some sort of license from the state. And what are you going to do? Park them at a 
water fountain outside the community center, weird. So while you don't need to use this as a blueprint, I do think there are some qualities that if you're single looking for a spouse that this text calls us to consider. In fact, if you're married, here are qualities that you would do good well to develop. So whether you're single looking for a spouse and thinking, what kind of spouse should I look for? Or whether you are married, here are some qualities that Rebecca demonstrates for us, 18 to 22. She's kind. She's compassionate. She meets this guy. She doesn't know who this guy is, and she welcomes the stranger, welcomes a foreigner from a different land. She's hospitable. She takes initiative. She offers to do a really tough job, and she finishes She's a hard worker. These are qualities to develop in yourself, qualities, married folks, that we would do well to honor our spouse and families with. Ladies, if you're looking to find a spouse, here's something to look for. Fellas, you want to get married? Become this kind of person. Sidebar over. Let's get to our final question, final section of the text. How will you respond when God leads? How will you respond when God leads? Here at the very end, it seems like we're over the hump, but we hit a final snag. Look in the text. There's a final snag there in 55 when the servant says, it's morning time. I'm ready to go. And they go, eh, let her stay for 10 days, please. Turns out that phrase, 10 days, it's, it doesn't just literally mean 10 days. It's actually, it's actually a vague term for let her stay a while. It can even mean, let her stay for up to a couple years. Here's, here's why this is a snag. I didn't realize this till I had to do my homework. Rebecca, if she's going to have this arranged marriage, how, are, how will she be protected if she finds herself married to an awful man who hurts and abuses her? Culturally, Laban and Bethuel would be living in the same town so they could check in to make sure that Rebecca's in a safe place. But the offer on the table is, you've got to marry my boy and move 21 days away. And they realize, that's scary. And it would have been terribly vulnerable for Rebecca. And so they're like, yeah, let's not go so fast, huh? The servant says, no, man, it's, we got to go today. And they say, 57, let's call the young woman. Let's ask her which is incredibly interesting that in a patriarchal culture, they're going to go ask Rebecca, what do you say? And does Rebecca, being presented with an opportunity to leave her hometown, to leave her comfortable family, and go to the promised land, does that remind you of any other character in Genesis? Anybody else in Genesis who've had to make that sort of a decision? 58, so they called Rebecca and said, will you go with this man? Rebecca said, I will go. Amen, sister. May we have the courage of this woman to go where God is leaving. So they sent Rebecca, their sister, and her nurse, and Abraham's servant, and his men, and, and they, I think this is Bethuel and Laban, they bless Rebecca. Now, do these blessings ring a bell about anything we've seen previously in Genesis? Our sister, may you become thousands of ten thousands. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a promise God made to Abraham in Genesis 17. 
God said that to Abraham in Genesis 17, and now we got a couple pagans saying that's Rebekah. And may your offspring possess the gate of those who hate him. That's Genesis 22, 17. God, after Isaac, says that to Abraham. And now, got a couple pagans blessing Rebekah with the same promises. I think what our author is wanting us to see is Abraham and Rebekah are parallel. God has called Rebekah to leave her home. And he has given her the same promises of Abraham. And Rebekah has said, I will go. And she is going to become the patriarch. Look how this beautiful chapter ends. Verse 63, verse 64. They're in a field. Their eyes meet at the same time. Rebecca says, boom, 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 boom. Who is that man? That's him. That's Isaac. She puts her veil on, implied marriage, and it ends with Isaac who has recently buried his mom in his mom's tent with his new wife, taking great comfort from her. Showing us then, Rebecca courageously believed where God was leading. She went. Here then is the pattern for the Israelites, the pattern for us today. Christians courageously go where God is leading. If you're taking notes, I'd love for you to write that down. We courageously go wherever God is leading. I'm going to go where you're leading. It's hard in the moment when all of a sudden this thing comes up in front of us. It's hard to be able to, to say yes when it feels like all the pressure is on, which is why, church, if you're here, you're a Mill Creeker, man, get your yes on the table now. Following Jesus means that you have written him a blank check. He's Lord. He's the one who's the boss. He's master. So right now, just say, whatever you want, I will do. Get your yes on the table. So that when God says, it's time to go, you're like, well, what else am I going to say? You're all right. I mean, you're the Lord. If, if the Lord is leading you later today to go tell a neighbor about Jesus, I know that's scary. I know you might feel vulnerable. You might feel a little bit like Rebecca. Oh no, what, what are they gonna think of me? What if this doesn't go as planned? What if we're no longer friends? But if the spirit is telling you to go share Jesus, you gotta go. Will you go? God willing, 18 months from now, we're gonna plant a church. We don't know where yet, but God may be calling some of you to go. That's scary. But for the sake of those who don't yet know Jesus in this city or this metro, in this country, will you go? Some of you, God may be calling to be a missionary to a foreign country. And perhaps you've said no for a long time, but you know in your heart of hearts, this is what God is calling you to do. Get your yes on the table. I want to go with you. But pastor, like that's so hard because that takes Crazy faith, I know, and I told you this is like spiritual plutonium, but you can take heart that if, that if you've ever had this sense that God has called you to courageously go and you chickened out, take heart. You're not the only one. Well, none of us have perfectly done this. I've been watching a couple track meets recently, and it seems to me that life mirrors a, 
race with hurdles. We start this race, it's full of hurdles. We run and we run. We, sometimes we don't get over the hurdle right. We, we trip, we fall. And that happens to all of us. But Christians, we get up and we keep running the race Christ has called us to. And sometimes our knees are bloody and sometimes the world's going to mock us. But what are we going to do? Quit the race. If you're thinking, man, this is hard. Seriously, you want me to confidently believe God's word when the culture says I'm crazy? You want me to worship unashamedly when I'm afraid of what people are going to think of me if I go full frontal in, in worship? And you want me to confidently go, courageously go wherever God is leading me? Yes, that's the pattern we see in the text. And you may just think, but I don't have the faith. I know I don't either. Mark 9, 24 there's a dad who says, would you help me overcome my unbelief? Pray that, Lord, help me overcome my unbelief. Or Matthew 14, they're out on the water. Peter goes, man, if that's you really, Jesus, tell me to come out the boat and walk. Christians, let's be the kind of guys, who, kind of gals who get out the boat and walk to Jesus. And we may sink, but Jesus is there to pick us up. See, just like Abraham and Rebecca, Jesus too left the safe home country, didn't he? He left the safe, comfortable place to go and allow himself to be very vulnerable. But whereas Abraham and Rebecca were potentially going to be put in a vulnerable position, Jesus left his home country of heaven and he came to certain vulnerability. God sent Christ into expected vulnerability. And Jesus came and he faced the worst that we will ever have to face. He faced it worse than any of us have to face. But Jesus confidently believed God's word. He unashamedly worshiped and he courageously went. When God said, will you go, Christ? Jesus said, I will go. And there at the cross, it was finished. It was finished. That first Easter, he was raised back to life. And here's why this connection is so important for us. Because of what Jesus did, we can trust that he is providentially working in our lives today. Whether it feels crazy or not, God is working for your good. Paul tells us as much in Romans 8.28. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. Right now, God is working all things, if you're in Christ, for your good. And I want to be crazy enough to believe all things really means all things. Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with all things, or how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's going to give you all things. He's given you Christ. Believe it. If you're here and you're a non-believer, you're checking us out. I'm glad you're here. The character to identify with would be Rebecca. She's been offered a wonderful opportunity, but it's going to take faith, and it's going to take courage, and you're going to be vulnerable. Will you courageously go? If you don't believe in Christ, it's a surprisingly simple answer. Tell Christ, I will go. I will follow. Last thought. Caleb Johnson, one of the Mill Creek High School seniors here, has told about this idea he calls the 10-second rule. He says, when the Holy Spirit leads me to do something, 
I just figure I have 10 seconds to do it. He's 18 and he's already realized, if I don't do it in the first 10 seconds, I'm going to ignore it. I'm going to forget it. I'm just going to go about my business, not obey. So he was challenging us. <laughs> I feel challenged. 10 second rule. That's crazy faith, man. That's spiritual plutonium. That's confident belief in God's word. It's unashamed worship. That's courageous faith to go. I'm going to go wherever your word tells me to go, and I'm going to worship you as you lead me. We'd all benefit from a little Caleb Johnson 10-second rule in our lives. Christians confidently believe, unashamedly worship, courageously go. Will you pray that this would be true in our lives? Now, Lord, have your way with us, and I pray your word, spirit, would do a work in our hearts. Make us more like you. Thanks for Genesis 24. Help us to believe. In Jesus' name, amen. If you like what you've heard or want to find out more information, please visit our website at mymillcreek.com.